0: This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network. The network for first responders and those who support them.
1: Welcome to Brownie and Blue Podcast with your host, MC. That's me. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Brownie and Blue. And make sure to check out the Heroes Podcast Network at heroespodcastnetwork.com. And follow all the great podcasts that are offered in that network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Brownie and Blue podcast, another episode. I've come back the past three or four months I've been away. And while I was away, I was down in Glencoe, Georgia. Yes, I've started a second career in law enforcement. I will not name the agency because just disclaimer, I and my voice and my opinions do not have anything to do with that agency. It is all mine, Uh, it's all my personal view. And so therefore, that's why I won't name the agency, but it is apropos and it does um, go with my next guest. The reason I was down in Glencoe was for training uh, at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, the center of excellence as I kept hearing as I was down there. And I did meet an excellent instructor and his name's Rod Sanchez. He's been an instructor for Fletsy, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, for the past nine and a half years. I had an incredible time going into his control tactics class. He was a wealth of knowledge. And he is with me now. I'm very honored to have him on this show. Rod Sanchez, how are you, sir?
0: I'm doing well, sir. I really appreciate you having me on your on your podcast today, tonight. And we're gonna have a good time with this. I can't, I've been looking forward to this for the last couple of days.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely different. <laughs> You're not sitting there uh, making sure that we're doing everything correct and uh, about <laughs> to get in somebody's ass because they're, <laughs> because they're not paying attention to the details. <laughs> um, so you also spoke at the graduation when we graduated. Uh, and just to give a shout out to the UPTP class 2122, the class that I went through. Um, when you were there, you went through a litany of accolades of your storied military career and how you got to Fletzi. Can you go ahead and expound on that and just tell the listeners what a badass you are?
0: <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I had a. I was in the military for 24 years um, when I first came in. As a military police active duty, uh, probably just like a lot of people who first went into the military. Uh, I went in for, originally it was supposed to be go for four years and I was gonna get out and, and enjoy the rest of my life. Uh, but I found out that the military wasn't all that bad. The army wasn't all that bad uh, as far as with me. So when I when I first started, I was at uh, Fort McCullen, Alabama. That's what I did my basic training. In advanced individual training at. And then after that, I went to uh, Korea um, with the second infantry division I was with the second MP company out there. During the time I was over there in Korea, I actually was there when the Olympics was there. Um, and that was pretty pretty fascinating going, being able to go to the Olympics, not once, but twice. And, and I'll tell you a little bit further on down the line. Um, after I, I left Korea, I ended up going to Fort Hood, Texas uh, with the 411th MP company. Uh, when I went there, uh, we deployed to, to Panama, uh, just before Just Cause um, came back, deployed six weeks later after we came back from Panama to uh, St. Croix Virgin Islands when they had Hurricane Hugo hit there. And we did a lot of the law enforcement um, operations down there, um, came back um, when I was there at Fort Hood, I worked the p- patrol and then I also worked as a um, worked on the drug depressant team when I was there, uh, going buying drugs off the bad guys. Um, that was a fascinating job. It was you know something that I'd never done, obviously. Uh, but it was good. It was good that, that I was be able to get drugs off the streets and, and that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to do that, uh, that particular job. Um, and then after that, uh, the, about a year later deployed to um, to Saudi Arabia for Desert Storm or with the at Fort Hood. Um, we ended up going to the Kuwait International Airport uh, when we was there. Uh, a lot of things that we did, we just did a lot of convoy escorts. Um, I worked with the Saudi police uh, when I was there, um, you know, any type of traffic accidents that may happen. And then also the, the convoys and the control of the convoys that was coming through there on Tapline Line Road. And then we ended up going over there to um, to Kuwait International Airport. And we did a lot of patrolling out there also. Um, very surreal when we was there, because during that time period, the, the oil fields was on fire. So you got to see a lot of that at the airport. You've seen some airplanes that have been blown up. So you see a lot of things during that time period. Um, and then when we came back from, from there, uh, I ended up going to Panama for four years. Uh, when I was in Panama, worked patrol. <clears throat> and I worked as a traffic accident investigator when I was there. Probably the, probably the best four years of my military career. Panama was a great place. Um, during that time I was there, they were closing down the, the base where I was at about two weeks after I left out of there. And after that, I ended up going to Georgia, um, at Fort Gordon, Georgia. And when I was there, I deployed back to Saudi Arabia in 96 after the Kobar Tower bombings. So I had I deployed there for six months, uh, working as the uh, NCOIC of the Emergency Operations Center. Uh, so that was pretty surreal seeing the building that that was, was blown up during that time period. Um, came back to uh, Fort Gordon, Georgia, and then I ended up going to Korea. Back to Korea, um, I worked at the as a platoon sergeant. I was a, a staff sergeant at the time, but they needed a platoon sergeant at the um, Joint Security Area, which is up there on the border with North Korea. Mm. In order for you to get that platoon sergeant job, you got to go in for an interview with the Sergeant Major. And then uh, I got chosen, which was, and I ended up going over there to um, to Camp Boniface, which is up there on the border. Very surreal place, another surreal place that you go to, because a lot of those guys are infantry. And I was the platoon sergeant during that time of a, of a platoon, MP platoon. Uh, during that time, you could see the Um, Sometimes you see the North Koreans um, up there at the border. Uh, It was pretty interesting um, seeing them up there. Um, At times you'll hear some propaganda music that's coming Mm. um, from from North Korea. Um, Nighttime is very quiet, very surreal. Um, But a lot of things was happening during that time period. Uh, Then after that, I end up um, becoming a drill sergeant. Um, around that time period, when I was a drill sergeant, I was a drill sergeant between 2000 and 2002. And then obviously during that time period, 9-11 happened. Um, probably one of the, at, up until that time, that was probably the, really the, the hardest job, but the most satisfying job at that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Cause you, you're changing lives. You know, you got people that's just coming in as civilians and want to be, um, they want to be soldiers. Um, So you have a very significant, um, being very significant in their lives in in order to change some of their lives. Uh, Especially after 9-11, you had a lot of people that, the civilians that was coming in, that uh, they came in because of Mm -hmm. 9-11. Very interesting. um, A couple of those people actually saw when the the towers um, got hit, and then they said the next day they went to the recruiting office, and they, they end up joining the Army after that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I um, went to Hawaii um, with the 25th Infantry Division. I was with the um, 25th MP Company. Now, during that time period, when I was in Hawaii, we ended up going to Iraq, um, up in Kirkuk, Iraq, which is up in the northern regions where mostly the Kurds live at. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was there, um, I helped. I was a platoon sergeant. Um, took a platoon up there, but because of my background as being a, a drill sergeant and a law enforcement background, uh, myself and uh, I was working with civilian contractors, Dine Corps guys, who are civilian law enforcement officers, we end up starting up a, a, um, a police academy for the Iraqis up in that area. And, um, yeah, and I'll, I'll go right back to that in, in later on. Um, but yeah, after, we, after that year in Iraq, I um, ended up coming back, and I wouldn't suggest this to nobody, but after I came back from, from Iraq, uh, went back to Hawaii, <clears throat> and then seven months later, ended up going to um, Fort Drum, New York uh, with the 10th Mountain Division, got there, and about a month later, I ended up deploying to Afghanistan. The story behind that was um, when I when I got there, um, the sergeant Major was asking me, "Hey, what do you want to do?" And um, he says, "I got a couple of jobs you can do." When um, I asked him, I said, "When do you when do you need an answer?" He goes, "Hey, I need an answer in a couple of days." Well, one of my squad leaders from that went to Iraq with me, got there two four drum about a month earlier than I did, and he was going to go to Afghanistan. Um, his wife uh, Courtney, she, she sat down with me and, uh, she goes, Hey, um, Tim don't know nobody. And they're about to go to Afghanistan. You don't mind if you go off to, um, Afghanistan with them.
1: Mm.
0: uh, me and Courtney, we knew each other. And I said, Hey, Courtney, I said, I'll do this for you. But there's one thing I need from you. I need one of your, I need for you to cook me one of your famous chicken dinners. And then if you do that for me, then I then I'll go ahead and, and go with Tim to Afghanistan.
1: Man, and that's what she did.
0: Yeah, that was I'm cheap. I'm cheap. <laughs> but but Tim Tim was one of my boys, man. He yeah. he was one of those he was one of my boys, one of my squad leaders, went to Iraq um uh, with uh we had a lot of trust with each other. Um and he didn't know nobody, so I ended up going there. Um was there for a year, came back. Um my old first sergeant from Hawaii ended up going to Cuba and he says, Hey, I need a first sergeant down here in Cuba. Are you interested? And um, during that time period, it was the winter time in New York, in upstate New York, and it was about really cold, about 26 degrees, you know, 10 degrees with wind chill factor. And so it was either between staying there or going to Cuba.
1: <laughs> That's so a, I, tough I, that a tough decision.
0: That's a tough decision. I say, Hey, Sergeant Major, and I say, Hey, uh, you got yourself a first sergeant. So I ended up going down there to um, to Cuba for a year and a half. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of detainees down there um, during that time period from the battlefields of both Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, so I was there and then um, ended up going back to Missouri, uh, back to Fort Leonard Wood, where I was a drill sergeant at. And I did my last two years there. Um, the reason why I went back there was because it was either one or two decisions that I, I was going to make. I was either going to make the next rank and be a sergeant major or I was going to go ahead and get out. But before I get out, I was going to get a lot of schools in before I get out to make myself marketable for the, for the outside world. So that's that's pretty much a nutshell. Everything in a nutshell as far as part of my military career.
1: That's an incredible career. I mean, this started from when to when, when, so what years from,
0: uh, from May of 87 and until October of 2011, my goodness, man. Yeah.
1: That's a, that's an amazing career. And honestly, I'll just say it. I've said it to you many times, but I do sincerely thank you for your service and everything you've done for not only my freedoms, but my family and, you know, those people, um, everybody that's in here on the US soil. I mean, it's a it's always an honor to not only meet somebody, but to also know their history and what they've done for this country. So again, thank you. Um, One of the things that you talked about at and how you uh, put it out there for the graduation ceremony, when you gave that excellent speech, uh, you introduced and you said that you obtained a Purple Heart and also were awarded a Bronze Star. For those that are listening that may not know what that is and what that entails and how you get that, can you go ahead and get into that and tell us, you know, tell listeners what Purple Heart means, why do you get it, and same with the Bronze Star?
0: Uh, as far as with the being a Purple Heart recipient, I don't know if you want to say at a a bad place at a bad time, but you know getting engaged by the enemy. Uh, The the story behind it was is that um, I was working at the at the police academy and the thing with the police academy was it it wasn't on base it was actually in downtown Kirkuk. So during that time period there was a lot of action that was going on as far as with the um, two months before um my incident that happened they had a a car bomb that came right in front of the the police academy and the car bomb blew up right in front of the academy and we had 12 um iraqi students that that got killed uh, because of that um and then a month before that uh we had another car bomb that that happened um over there by the uh the Iraqi National Guard place over there, which killed some, some people. Wow. So there was some action that was happening. Um, and then for myself, we tried to take different routes. Uh, we leave at different times. Um, you know, we try to vary out, out, out the things that we do. So we're not setting ourselves, set a pattern. Um, but I was in a, in a convoy, I was the second vehicle in a four vehicle convoy that left out of the, uh, the academy. And actually uh, in a couple of days, it would be 17 years in a couple of days actually, from when it happened. Um, an SUV um, that was full of rockets and mortars blew up right, right next to my vehicle, um, which disabled my vehicle. Um, and it happened on my side, I was the passenger side. Mm and it happened on my side, Um, I kind of like went out for about, maybe about 10 seconds before I can, you know, find out what happened, Um, I was able to get out of the vehicle, Uh, got scarred up a little bit on on the face, um, a little bit on the um, elbows, Um, the driver, you know, he got scarred up a little bit too. And then we had a, an interpreter who was in the back. Nothing really didn't happen to an interpreter. We, we haven't seen the interpreter since then. He kind of like <laughs> disappeared after that. But it disabled my vehicle. And then the fourth vehicle in the convoy went over a concrete medium. And the axle broke in that vehicle. So that vehicle was broken down. And it was a complex attack, meaning that the car bomb blew up. And then they started shooting down on us, mm. um, coming in, in our direction um so it's basically being engaged by the enemy um you know getting scarred up a little bit um uh, from that luckily none of us didn't get killed um the the driver of the vehicle he got shot in the leg um and then he also got hit by the third vehicle in the convoy
1: So
0: wow. we had to hold tight in there and we had to return fire until we can able to um get the infantry guys to get there and um like they kind of saved the day for us. Uh, and the fight probably last all but probably lasted between about three to five minutes. So that's it. Yeah. Yeah, Let but me- that that three to five minutes it seemed like uh, <laughs> 15 to 20, 30 an hour, you know, up until the time that the infantry guys got there.
1: So just to just and and I want I want you to get into the, the bronze star too, but just to kind of uh get into this, especially with your training and everything that you've done in your career, but especially down at Fletzy, they do a lot of uh, stuff that goes with, you know, auditory exclusion. Um, Yeah, you know, you go into where you, you you know, your heart rate goes up, you're perspiring, uh, you have tunnel vision, uh, you may see things slow down when you get into these uh, critical incidences, right? Yours is definitely a critical incident, uh, as you describe it. Uh, for any situation, did you have these things? Do you remember like that incident? Can you vividly go back to that and say, like, I remember this. I vividly know this, and this is where you know fire was coming from because of whatever.
0: Everything was training based on training. Uh, you know, the 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 lead vehicle was a captain in, in that vehicle. And, and if he didn't know what to do, uh, you know, a lot of people could have got killed. He was able to get in the vehicle, uh, get on the radio to call it in immediately. Um, you never know what's going to happen in those situations. But we, we knew that we had to uh, form a perimeter or, around the, the, the down vehicles to be able to have cover. So everything comes down to training. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do this so much, so many times, uh, it all starts with back at your home base, you know, you, you practice this, you train this, um, we've done this, uh, a lot of, a lot of husbands and wives and girlfriends and boyfriends didn't like us when we was in Hawaii training, because we would train until, until the nighttime, until that sun went down, um, to making sure that we, we've trained it hard, and because mm-hmm. um, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, so you got to be ready for anything, and, and what what happened is is that training, and that's what helped you. That's what helped us um, stay alive during that time. Everybody knew what they had to do when when that incident happened, and, and that's what it comes down to.
1: Got it. That's huge. What yeah. uh, and then with the bronze star, if you can, if you can tell the well, listener what what is that and why do you get that?
0: With with, with the bronze star, you know, basically is is. Uh, what I did in, in, a, in, a, in, um, in Iraq, um, during that time period, is working at, with the police academy, starting up a police academy, and we did a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that we did at Fletzy, um to be honest with you. But basically, everything is the same, going from crowd control, handcuffing, first aid. We did the same thing, mm-hmm. and, but we writing lesson plans and, and then training them up, crowd control. Uh, We did all that Um, when I was there, uh, there was the first time that Iraqis were able to uh, vote for their presidents. Mm -hmm. Um, It was around that time period. Um, And that has a lot to do with it. And of course, what happened on that day when um, the little incident that I got into, as far as when I got the Purple Heart, that had a lot to do with it, too. Mm -hmm. And then also what your platoon does. You know, it's not just what I did personally. um, It's what your platoon did um a platoon did a lot of hours um out there on those roads outside the wire well, with convoy escorts mm-hmm. um and they they got in a couple of incidents themselves but everything came down to training so it's it's not just what i did it also is the, the 26 other people in that platoon and what they did
1: got you that's uh so you were in Iraq. You were there for the first Desert Storm operation. Desert Storm is that what it was um, called? I, right? I was in
0: Desert Storm in in, in the in ninety ninety one. I was in Iraq in uh, two thousand and four and two thousand and five, and I was in Afghanistan in two
1: thousand five two thousand and six. Wow! So, just going back into your your career. Uh, especially there in Desert Storm. What experiences stand out for you uh, in your memory about that? And then did that impact you positively or negatively? And if both?
0: You know, it, it's the first time that you see a lot of things. You mm-hmm. know, uh, first time that you, you, you're going up against an enemy. Um, you know, the first time that you that you see uh it's the U.S. being in in a war since this Vietnam mm-hmm. vividly remember seeing uh hearing those B2, B-52 two B bombers um going in the air and dropping the bombs in uh, on the Iraqis and, and you can hear that very vividly and um and, and you and you're glad that you're not on that receiving end of that um <laughs> uh, you know going into the um uh, Going into Kuwait and in Kafji, that's what the Marines had a big battle over there uh, with the Iraqis. Um, and then you've seen a lot of the damage that was done during that time period. And then, of course, you see the Highway of Death with all those vehicles that got smashed up pretty well in, in, in Kuwait. Uh, I remember seeing that very vividly. And then, of course, the oil fields on fire. Um, I still got pictures of that. Um, and, and some of the stuff that I got from, from, the, um, from Kuwait International Airport, got myself a little license plate over there, a little more metal um, when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's the first time that you see something like a mass um, damage that was done because of war. And, you know, as a 24 year old during that time period, you know, a, a, a regular person would never see that in their mm-hmm. lives. So as me and myself, you seen that for the first time. So that that will always was was will stay in my mind. Um, But of course, you know, coming back victorious, and I think that that was um, and coming back um, home was 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 great. You know, Mm -hmm. coming back from war because you know us, we're kind of old, and we we can remember. You know, with with some of the Vietnam vets when they were coming back, they weren't greeted too well, and you hear stories about that. And that was one of the main things that I, that I thought about, you know, when I was coming back, how would I be received when I, when I come back and um, very well received and it was a great time when I came back and that this, it was just grateful that, that, that everybody um, came back alive. And I think that was the main thing as far as with that.
1: Did your, so your family, are they uh, military as well? And, what my, was there? Yeah, go ahead.
0: My my grandfather was was in World War II. Uh, and my father, he spent uh, 30 years in the military um and the National Guard. Okay. Uh, when he was in. And he retired. He retired as a sergeant first class.
1: So this so is there, in there your is this is in your blood, right?
0: Folks. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. I will say that. I was I was playing with um, army phones and 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 playing army when I was a little kid, so it, it was already in me by the time that I was shooting uh, M16 already, by the, before I even came <laughs> into the military, so I, I already knew how to, how to shoot.
1: So one of my uh, you'll remember him. We'll give a shout out to him because he'll probably listen to this at some point. Uh, you remember Semp right, the Marine yeah. in our in our class. Um, yeah. But he, uh, he wanted me to ask you, because he thought that you would enjoy the question, what, what was your favorite rank and why?
0: My favorite rank was first sergeant. Um, and, and the reason why is, is that during that time in your career, um, you, you're uh, the senior NCO, the senior non-commissioned officer of a whole company. And, and at that time, I've been a, a first sergeant a couple of times. I was a first sergeant in in, in Cuba, and I had 110 people there. And I was also in um, my last duty station. I was a first sergeant, and I had 246 people that I had to manage. Um, You're a little bit older, and and you can make a difference in people's lives. And and I I enjoyed that more than anything else. But being a first sergeant, and anybody who's been a first sergeant, they'll tell you the same thing. First sergeant is the best job to have in the Army. So definitely first sergeant.
1: Okay. And so you went through, sounds like a lot of deployments and then also different experiences. But you also talked about when you set up the police academy, civilian style police academy in Kirkuk in Iraq, correct? Yes. And so with that, though, were you already in training? And how did you transition into kind of a training role? Uh, within your military career, how how did that happen?
0: Have be, being a well, when once you become an NCO in, in the army, you're training, you're training, and you're training people. You're training your own soldiers, and, and that may be two people. Then, when you get be a squad leader, it, it turns into maybe six. Mm-hmm. Uh, you be a platoon sergeant. It, it, so once I start moving up the, the ranks. Um, you're always training. You're always training for for whatever. You're you're training for either law enforcement, doing some law enforcement training, or you're you're training for war. Um, So that was in my blood. And and people were telling me when I first came into the military that, you know, you're going to end up being a lifer. They were telling me this, you're going to be a lifer and you're going to be a drill sergeant. And I was just like, I blew them off. I'm like, nah, that's never going to happen. I'm going to do my four years and get out. But once I started staying in and being a drill sergeant, yeah, I, I, everybody who told me said you got that drill sergeant in you. Um, so that helped. Um, having that background helped. Starting that academy helped up in Kirkuk because of my background. Um, making lesson plans, doing lesson plans, um, working with the civilian police, but also we had Iraqi uh, Iraqi law enforcement officers, and they were like their version of drill sergeant, their version of, of trainers, just like how I am at, at Fletzy right now, they mm-hmm. had their own there. So you kind of work with them also through interpreters. Mm. We had, we had interpreters and everything that you say to interpreters, uh, like 70% of it is this, it's not getting through, but that, that 30% is, so they are a lot of hands-on people. Um, and then you do the best you can as far as with the training. And, and I think that because of that, Because of my background, it made it a lot easier. And those Iraqi trainers that we had over there, they were pretty good. They were Mm -hmm. pretty good. Um, When when I first got there, um, I was trying to be the nice guy, you know. Hey, you know, uh, because you know you you you're with Iraqis, you were Kurds, you have Sunnis and Shiites um, there also, um, Turkmen's. You had this whole mix of people. Mm. And you have to have um, interpreters there who can speak their language. Uh, but you have to hope that those interpreters know exactly what you're saying. Uh, so it, it was difficult, but it, uh, um, we made it happen, made it happen through there. But those, those Iraqi um, trainers, they say, hey, hey, Sanchez, you're getting too nice to them. You got you to you be tough a little bit. <laughs> and then I just, I said, are you, are you serious? He goes, yeah. And I said, all right, drill sergeant it is.
1: So, <laughs> that came it, it naturally,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it came naturally after that, but it it was um it was good, up until the time that car bomb happened um the the training was good, uh we did some great things um with them, um and they appreciated it um a lot, they appreciated mm-hmm. it a
1: lot do you think there was a buy-in for the most part? I mean because so I only asked that because me. Looking from the outside in, and obviously you see certain documentaries or you see certain movies that are based on true stories and however loosely true it is Um, with those movies or documentaries, you, from my standpoint, and I've heard other people that went over to do contract training, right? Like uh, they were police officers that took a job and they went over to Iraq or Afghanistan and they were doing the training that you're talking about, but as a civilian, and they would say that they were somewhat scared because they didn't really know if these individuals were using the training, like the students, if they were using that as a way to kind of infiltrate or get close to where they can provide Intel to those that wanted to do harm to Americans were you ever did you ever feel like that with with these students that you trained in Iraq or you felt you felt safe?
0: Not not uh, not so much with the Kurds. I, I had a lot of trust in them. They, they like Americans. Yep. Um, you know, they got some of them that they'll come up to you and they, they'll speak English and, and they want to learn some. Um, and they were very appreciative. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, will say that, uh, as far as with the trust factor, when, when you have the, um, a lot of the Arabics, the Sunnis and the Shiites, when they, when they were coming, because they were coming from a different area, they were coming from more from down, um, down South and bringing them up to us. Um, and the areas where they were coming from, we was having problems, um, with, with snipers in that area. And then with, with, um with other incidents that was happening there. So yeah, there, there, to me, it, there was, uh, from the ones that was coming from the down south, coming up north, but not so much with the with the Kurds and not so much with the i I've, I've had a, a great experience with them.
1: Okay. So because of how you've transitioned into training and now you being an instructor on a civilian side, federal side for nine and a half years, you've seen a lot of changes and in your career, what differences have you seen in training from when you first started to now?
0: Probably use of force has probably changed a lot. Uh, and then with me coming from the military, obviously the, the use of force is a little bit different than, than it is on the civilian side of the, of the house.
1: Um, can you get into that? Because I think there's a big um, misn- misnomer, uh, if that's a proper thing to say, misnomer in the sense that I think people look at the military and then also law enforcement because it's paramilitary setup with yeah. rank structure and stuff like that. I think they kind of they, they ball them together and it's all the same. So with you making that comment to where it, the use of force is different with the military versus what it is civilian. Can you, well, can you explain that? Why is it? Well,
0: different? you, you got to know that when, when you're dealing with military folks, especially in the army, everybody's a trained killer. <laughs> if, you, if, you, <laughs> if you think about that, right. everybody's got a with weapons, everybody, you know, they, they doing a lot of things. Um, so you, you can be, when I first came in, when I came in, it was the late 80s. You know, I was in Korea. Um, you, you're a lot more hands-on with people. Uh, <laughs> you got a lot, you're dealing with a lot of drunks. Um, when you go into a house dealing with domestics um, between a husband and wife, um, you never know what's going to happen during that time period. Um, but you're dealing with a lot more, you know, you're dealing with trained killers and people don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, where on, on the civilian side, um, you have to think about use of force, um, which has changed over the years, especially within the last, um, you know, couple of years, but especially what happened in Minnesota. Uh, has it changed the training much um, since, for instance, since Minnesota? Um, we went back over our lesson plans and we found out that a lot of things that we're doing are, are good, mm-hmm. um, but we just did some minor changes. So it wasn't really as much of a change after that, this minor stuff, but nothing where it is as big. Uh, we was, the training that we was doing was on track as far as what 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 needs to be done out there. Uh, police officers and nowadays they got to know human nature they got to know how to deal with people Uh, you can't just go into a situation um, guns blazing you really got to know what you're doing out there
1: Mm -hmm. and that's and that's uh, so part of that too is also knowing what you can and can't do just based off of you know, constitution case precedents, you know, gram factors. And, you know, we can get into all that kind of nerdy talk. Um, It kind of gets boring, but it's one of the it's the bread and butter of use of force for civilian law enforcement. And, you know, the military that it does, does that apply? Like, if you're in Korea, are you still under the same and I'm asking based for my knowledge, but if you're on base, you're still applying those same type of factors when you go into those situations or is it pretty much type so. of protocol?
0: Yeah, pretty, pretty much so. I think it is now. Um, you'd be surprised at the, the things that you can do based on the Constitution but once if you pass the Constitution then you start getting into agency and they kind of narrow down what you can do. Uh, and, then, and that's what happens a lot um, mm-hmm. with, with the with military. Yeah, we we do fall under that. You um, still, they still got their rights, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah,
1: okay. And then, so you've gone through this incredible career, and then you've had, you've definitely had ups and downs. Can you tell or describe your most frustrating things or moments about training, and why was it so frustrating? Well,
0: as of right now, if let's see, you know, you don't have that much frustration because you, you're training folks um, and the, the only frustration is, is the COVID and stopping training or the <laughs> hurricane and stopping training. Um, maybe there's some of the frustration that you may have every once in a while. You just have that one student that just not. Uh, that may have a law enforcement background and they think they know everything and, and mm-hmm. they go in there, not with an open mind, but they're going in there thinking that they know everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and then they can contaminate the rest of the students. But as far as training itself, um, there's not much frustration except when you have, when you stop in training. I, mm-hmm. I don't think, me personally, when I, where I'm at right now in Fletzi, I don't think of it as, as a job. I think of it as giving back, giving back the experience that you have, giving back to people more than it's working. Listen, I already have my career, you know, as far as with the the military and stuff I've done. Uh, I'm not starting out a career anymore. I'm trying to help people who are starting out a career, helping those young folks out, getting them to where is, you know, later on in life, that they're going to be successful uh, with that, Uh, you know, that's what, that's what I'm doing right now. So the frustration mm-hmm. is, the, is more Mars what the train is, is when you're not training or you get that one knucklehead who think he knows everything. That's mostly yeah. what the frustration is.
1: Yeah, I definitely, I've, I've seen, um, I've seen that to where it's like one can be the cancer that causes everybody else to not take the training as serious. And oh, then at this, yeah, the, yeah you, you have that all over, even in, you know,
0: you gotta nip, you gotta nip that in the bud quickly. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta nip that in the bud quickly.
1: And that's that's what was, uh, you know. This is just kind of a side note. For me, it was interesting to come to uh, Fletzy, and to be honest with you, I didn't realize how lax the whole environment was going to be. I thought it was going to be more, you know. When I watched the marshals march around and they were actually PTing to the chow hall, you know, that's what in a way I thought it would be more like that. Um, And to be honest with you, when I got there, I was a little frustrated because I thought there would be more disciplinary uh, ways as far as just being in the classroom. And then also at the same time, you know, instructors and stuff would just like really nip stuff in the butt as far as, you know, people being on the phone, but I felt like it was a very lax environment and I I was actually very surprised about that. Um, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but I know one thing when I came into your control tactics class and that training, just based off of your demeanor and that you just didn't take shit. And I could tell that permeated throughout the whole class. So therefore Everybody was in step with that. And I actually really appreciated that because it was rare that we got that anywhere else on that campus.
0: Yeah. You know, I can't talk about the other instructors, you know, there uh, cause they, they do what they got to do, but I'm doing what I know. Right. And you know, you got to have some type of structure. And I, I'm a very structured person because of my background. You know, when I, when I, when I went to Flety, I didn't even know, Fletzi existed. The only reason why I knew that Fletzi existed was because of, of a buddy of mine who's worked there now. Mm. Me and him were, were in Panama together. Uh, we was drill sergeants together. And then we was um, together at Fort Drum. And then when he retired from the military, he retired five years before I did. He ended up getting a job at at Fletzi. And uh, once I started retiring, he was asking me, hey, what are you doing? What are you going to do after you get out? I said, hey, I want to be an instructor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, hey, you can be an instructor over here at Fletzy. And I didn't even know what Fletzy was about. But I was thinking along the same lines as you when I first got there. I said, hey, you know, I'm thinking drill and I'm thinking academy. I'm thinking, you know, this is what we got to do. And it wasn't, it's not like that, but I have to stay with my personality and what makes me successful right um and, and again structure is good um you know me i, I like to have fun in the, in the mat room mm-hmm. but the the fun happens after we work hard <laughs> and, and once you work hard st- students want to be disciplined and I'll, I'll tell anybody that students want to be disciplined they want to work hard they want to feel like they they accomplished something mm-hmm. um nobody doesn't want anything handed to them and, and if i if if i'm doing that in each of the classes that i have then I know on my half when I'm doing, then I'm knowing that I'm doing a good job and I'm getting some good students out there to help help our country out, whatever agency they belong to.
1: No, definitely. And I, I could feel that, you know, there was a sincerity to what you were uh, if it was a business like you know, you want to go to a business where and you want to support a business that's sincere about their product, and you were definitely sincere and passionate about what you were doing. Um, which brings me to my next question for you is what's been the most enjoyable aspect of training and why?
0: Same thing as, as far as with, uh, when I was a drill sergeant, it's, it's the same as being at Fletzi it's, it's seeing people graduating, um, seeing them when they first get there the first day where they couldn't, they can't put on handcuffs for shit. <laughs> uh, they can't search. They can't do this, and they can't do that. But by the time they graduate, they're able to do all that, and you can see the transformation from the student when they first got there to the day they graduate. That you you see the difference in them, um, and it was the same thing as, as as being a drill sergeant when they when they graduate. You actually see their families, mm. and their families see their the, the, the transformation of them. Either they used they weighing fifty pounds less or they see a, a, something different about them. Uh, that's the most satisfying thing. And, and then also, um, I have former students. They'll they they'll get in contact with me when they're out there in the field. And they'll show me pictures of their first um, bust, drug bust, and they'll send me pictures and, of, of their bust. Or they, they give me a, a little shout out and say, hey, Mr. Sanchez, um, my supervisor was telling me, you know, how great I, I was doing my searches on on people, or they found drugs on people, or they find the contrabands on people. My satisfaction is the success of 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 those former students that are out there doing a great job out there in the field.
1: You feel like a proud dad sometimes, huh? Definitely,
0: um, definitely. <laughs> You know, you, and, and it's for our country. You know, you're talking about yep. on a federal level. It's for our yep. country, and you you see the you see the things that's going on out there right now. Yep. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so.
1: You know, you hit something that's uh real sensitive, and a lot of people that are not in law enforcement have a lot of opinions as if they know what law enforcement's about, and that's even from the highest uh, seats in politics uh, to your neighbor who, you know, doesn't do anything that deals with law enforcement. And the tenor right now is very negative when it comes to anything that deals with law enforcement. You know, you watch the news, uh, talking to neighbors, like I said, you may hear it from protests and all these different things. And for you, because you're in such a, you're at the, you're at the foundational level of law enforcement to where you are instilling the way law enforcement is going to be applied, especially from a, from a use of force standpoint, you are instilling these things, these actions, these conditioning uh, ways into young people uh, embarking on this profession. And you also know the climate. So my question with that is this, is that How has recent political views or the climate of the day towards law enforcement, how has that affected you personally or your training or how you train LEOs, uh, law enforcement officers federally where you're at in Fletsi? I don't
0: don't let the, uh, I don't let politics uh, affect my training, how I train people. I only can train people the way that the lesson plan tells me how how I gotta train it, which has been approved by uh, people way above me. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, what I what I tell people is is that you know uh, you can't you not everything on the news is true. Um, you know they got their own little ways that they you know methods that they have to push. I know what's going on down there based on what former students are telling me and they're, they're the boots on the ground. And they're telling me some of the things that's happening down there, uh, wherever it could be at the border or it could be up in, in, in Portland uh, or, or different places. Uh, and and they, they are frustrated. You have to get the support from the top just like with any other boss that you have, your boss got to support you. And if you don't feel like that, you getting that support, there's going to be a lot of frustration that's going to be happening. And, mm-hmm. and, and yes, I do see that, um, especially on, on the borders. Um, but, you, you know, I, we can get into that. I can talk all day on that one. Um, but there is a lot of frustrations as far as with that on what's happening at the borders. But yeah. as far as with me, but as far as with me personally, how I train people is never going to affect me how I train people because I'm doing everything that's been approved by uh, going way up the ladder to DHS, uh, Department of Homeland Security. If they are improving it, then I'm training them the same way that's going there. What happens afterwards, uh, the, it, it jumps into the politics on there. And people, uh, unless you've been in law enforcement, unless you know, unless you've been there, unless you've actually seen it yourself, Mm -hmm. Um, you're never going to get the full understanding of what happens out there in in law enforcement.
1: No, that's for sure. That's for sure. You know, one thing that I kept, one thing that I thought about as you, as you stated this, um, have you, have you ever had a past student get into a situation where they now have to go back into that individual's training and they come to you and they say, Hey, did you guys, did you teach him this or her this? Uh, and they're nitpicking based off of what you have done in your training. Has that happened? I
0: haven't, I haven't yet. Nope, I have <laughs> not yet.
1: Well, that's is a that testament gonna, to you. Is
0: that they going to come? I don't know. But uh, like I said, I, I don't worry about how I train, so I know I'm going to be all right.
1: Yeah. Well, that's 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 actually the perfect uh, answer because again, that's just a testament to you and how you. Uh, present the material, and then also train the people. Uh, and I am a, I'm a living testament to that. Um, <laughs> so, But a lot of this, right, law enforcement, your career, you've seen a lot of changes, not only in certain ways with training and use of force from difference between the military and now law enforcement at the federal level. You have, so let's put on your hypothetical hat. and Maybe this has really happened to you. But hypothetically, you have a young person that's, let's say, you know, high school age, or they're in college and they're about to graduate and get their degree, or they're 18 and about to leave and, you know, graduate from from high school. And they come to you and they say, Mr. Sanchez, I want to become whatever, I want to become a customs and border protection, I want to become a marshal, I want to become, you know, Pentagon force protection. I want to become whatever it is. I want to be in law enforcement. What do you and they ask you, what can you give me as advice? What would that advice look like or sound like coming from you to that young person today?
0: Just like anything else, when you when you first start out, it's not going to be easy. Uh, And and law enforcement is, is the same way. At first, it's not going to be easy. But the things that, 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 that is good about law enforcement is, is being able to, uh, number one, to, to get criminals off all the, the, the bad people um, behind bars. Um, you get the satisfaction of helping people. I think that's, that's the big thing as far as with helping people. I think that in, in law enforcement, you have to get back to that. Whereas the, the, those law enforcement officers are going out there and making their face be seen and get that trust back uh, from the public and, and and I'll tell a young person that the, the face of this uh, of this country is, is changing. Um, it's getting younger now mm-hmm. uh, you coming into law enforcement you you are the face of, of what you're going to be seeing out there. you're around the same age as them. You can make a big difference as far as with the how, People out there, civilians, look at law enforcement officers, and I said, You can do that by, by getting in there. Is, is the hours going to be, uh, you're going to be working a lot of hours. The hours are going to suck at times. You're going to be working at odd hours. Um, but the benefits of it is going to outweigh the negatives of it. Uh, and it may not happen at the beginning, but once after you start putting in some years, you'll, you'll see how much better it is. And I see a lot of people, the young people that's coming in now, you, I'll, I'll even tell them, I said, hey, I'm going to see you back here again at Fletsy Some of them, they change agency. They love, they love what they're doing, but they want to go to another agency because they want to stay in. Mm-hmm. Or they want to do something different. Young people are smart. They're, me and my brother had this conversation. The, the young people today, they're smart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, But again, getting getting back that trust as far as with the civilians, they can do it and you're going to get that satisfaction out of that.
1: Do you think, do you think the young people today, what do they call them? Millennials, right? So millennials,
0: (laughs) is the the Z generation, the Z
1: generation, whatever, you know, the the younger folks, the 20 somethings that are just starting off first job. Is there a difference in how you've, I guess, interaction wise, because I've had friends in other uh, local agencies that, you know, have talked about where the younger generation that's coming up now, it's really hard for them to just have a regular conversation and how that applies onto the street because of the media, because of not media, but social media and texting and technology and everything is, you know, talking through that. And so when they get to the street level or the personal level, it's hard for them to um, turn that switch on because they they never had it in the first place. Have you seen that with your, you know, with your training and how students in a way interact or the lack of interaction?
0: I, I haven't seen that as, as much, uh, to be honest with you, but I I, I can see where that is coming from as far as with the social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that just goes back into gaining that experience of being out there and in, in, in the human nature of, of learning people. Um, we, we have to get back to that as far as as, as a nation, because social media takes over everything um, now. Yeah. But as far as with me, with training. You know what? I haven't trained. I haven't changed at all. As far as with how I train people how I interact with the young people what, what the young people want to hear is, is um, how am I doing as far as am I doing a good job? They want to hear this, uh, you know, back in, with us is just like, hey, just get it done. And then when it's done, it's done. <laughs> young people want to know, hey, how did I do? They wanna they want that that confirmation from us. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I do see that as far as with the with the social media and, and the lack of it. But I haven't seen that much. When I talk to people one on one, I don't see. I haven't seen any of that. I can hold a good conversation with, with with anybody at any time, and I haven't had no issues with that.
1: Well, that's that's actually refreshing to hear because I've I've heard the opposite. And what's funny is even with me, at the tail end of my previous uh, my. 20-year career, um, I I started seeing that difference myself in the aspect of how it was hard for certain younger officers to just have a conversation with somebody on the street. Yeah. Basic, you know, like just having, you know, just finding some common ground, some rapport building um, that I think for me and you, because we didn't have you know, this square thing that is a computer in your hand, and you can talk to and get that instant gratification. We we didn't we didn't grow up with that. And plus, yeah. we were able to ride bikes and, you know, go off and we didn't have helicopter moms like right there with us at every turning point. You know, the, the difference of how we grew up and stuff like that, I think also affected the way that we also did law enforcement. Yeah, um, it, definitely so i don't know you know but the fact that you're saying that you haven't seen that i think that i think that to me for me that's actually a positive thing because based off of my experience i saw that it was going in a different direction yeah, and there was and, a lack of communication
0: and and i'm also not on the streets too so you know it could be different as far as with them talking to a stranger mm-hmm. rather than somebody that they know and they've seen a lot of right uh, I I could probably see that too. If they're out there on the streets talking to strangers, they don't know who that person is. Yeah, you know, it, it was it was even hard. When I, when I was working drugs, it was harder for uh, on on the drugs suppressing team. It was hard for me because there were times where you have to buy cold. And meaning buying cold is we know this guy is selling drugs at this hotel. Mm-hmm. We know this person's name, but he doesn't know who I am. And I got to go knock on that door, hotel door, and ask for drugs from that person to buy drugs off that person. So you know, I I can see how you know you go into a complete stranger, you're knocking on the door, and you've seen a bad guy, and then you got to say, hey, you know, working on drugs suppression team, hey, I got to you know I'm trying to buy drugs off this person. That's a lot of stress, you know.
1: <laughs> how, and and it, how and did it, you it's work a, that out? How did you uh, work that out?
0: Hey, it's. Hey, it's called acting 101. <laughs> you know, you, you got to know, you got to know what you're talking about. You got to know the, 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 the talk on the streets,
1: mm-hmm. the
0: street talk. You got to know all that. You got to know, you know, how, what's the going price is. but you also got to know how to talk to people, uh, and off cold. <laughs> and, and that wasn't easy. So I can see where this, these young people trying to talk to strangers, um, how, how hard it can be. But once they gain that experience, I think that they'll be all right. And probably at the very beginning, they're probably having a hard time.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I think it helps, obviously, in a very much needed training environment. And those are where the mistakes can be made. Because once you're out here and you're in the streets, you know, a mistake could be fatal. Um, even just the even the aspect of lack of communication. Um, and that's one thing that I've seen uh, as far as just I, I tell I tell the younger uh, generation, as far as the people that I went through Fletzi with is you have to communicate with each other. You know, you have to be able to talk to one another in a situation and you can't rely on just, you know, uh, non verbal language or body language, uh, because that's, that, that's not going to save your life. You're going to have to scream something at some point to let somebody know.
0: And it's going to come around with experience and hopefully, um, Hopefully it's not a bad experience where, where like you said, once you leave Flety and I tell them students that all the time, it's game on, man. Yep. Um, no. So you make your You make mistakes here, and don't make. And try not to make them out
1: there. So we're getting close to the end here. One thing I want the listeners to know is that um, when we were in the mat room, to me affectionately, and this is out of respect, Instructor Sanchez played the best music (laughs) but he had a he had a kaleidoscope uh uh, collectors of all genres but it was always on point and it always fit whatever the mood was for that day so I'm going to ask you uh Sanchez what is your who's your favorite artist why or what's your favorite genre of music and why I
0: love music left and right. First of all, when, when I play the music in the in the uh, in the mat room, I tell the students, I say, hey, listen, I'm not especially for the young folks. I'm not playing what you guys listen to today. That stuff ain't happening. You you adjust to me. <laughs> I I am definitely not adjusting to your asses. <laughs> so the, the music I'm playing is that you got to you better live with it. Uh, I listen to everything. Uh, the only thing I don't listen to is country and Western. Those are the two music I don't listen to. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I listen to everything. I, I can go to you know old school, uh, 80s rap, you know that. Um, mm-hmm. I throw that on there. I can listen to grunge, I can listen to old, I can listen to everything, Southern rock. I play a little bit of everything. Um, and and you, to be honest with you, that's because of being in the military and being around different folks and being exposed to a lot of different people in my life. And that's one thing about the, and law enforcement, you're gonna, you know, you know that, you're gonna see that you, you get exposed to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing in the military. I, I've been exposed to so many different types of people from all over the States and listening to different cultures and different music. And I say, hey, you know, that's all right. I can listen to Kenny G, you know, I can listen to Tony <laughs> Bennett. I can listen to Run DMC. You know, I can listen to the Beatles. I can listen to grunge music. I can listen to, um, I can listen to punk rock. I can listen to everything. And I think it's because of my exposure in the military that it has a lot to do with that. And the students, even the class I got now, the students love the music. Uh, and they're and they're younger folks. And I, you know, <laughs> I see them and they say, "Hey, Mr. Sanchez, you play some good music." I said, "You don't have to tell me that. I already know."
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you do. And it was funny because I every time I came in there, it was almost like a quiz because you would come around and you'd be like, you know, you'd be like, hey, you know who this is? And I'm hey, like, come on, man. I'm the other old man in the room. Of course hey, I know who this is. Hey,
0: let me tell you something. You surprised <laughs> me on, on some of them, though, especially in that 80s rap. You surprised me on a couple of them. You know, uh, we talk about when we had that uh, one student Craig in there, you know, Craig didn't know nothing. <laughs> and I said, come on, man.
1: Yeah, these young kids—they don't know—they don't know too much, but they think they know everything. That's what's. But I think is. that
0: helps the mood out, as far as with the being in the mat room and listening to some music every once in a while. I think it it helps uh, helps the mood out a little bit,
1: no, uh, instead sure. of
0: instead of being in in a, in a classroom watching PowerPoint slides all day.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, death by PowerPoint is never a good look. Um, well, listen, we're coming to the end here. I'm with Rod Sanchez, instructor, drill sergeant, bronze star, and Purple Heart recipient, incredible career in the military, continuing to give back to the community, to our nation by training young federal law enforcement officers on a daily basis down in Glencoe, Georgia. I'm very honored and continue to be honored by, uh, by you, uh, Mr. Sanchez. Um, is there anything you have a minute you can say whatever to the listeners, it can be inspirational. It can be a dirty joke. If you have one, it can be, <laughs> <laughs> it can be whatever, whatever it is, your final message. If you have, hey, first one. of
0: all, I'm surprised I kept all this clean, but uh... <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, and I'll tell anybody this, is that you can, and I, and I said this during the graduation, uh, you can be anything that you want to be, uh, once you set your mind to it. Uh, you can do anything that you want, um, if you set your mind to it. Uh, you know, uh, me being a minority, um, you know, a lot of minorities, we have, a, we have a lot of opportunities out there now that we didn't when I first was, was coming up through the ranks. Uh, the minorities we have now that I see coming through the halls, that uh, FLETC, it just makes, makes me smile and, and I see that. And the, the changes that's going to be happening with, you know, within this country with the demographics over there. And I, and I tell minorities, you, know, you got an opportunity, man, you need to go out there and grab it and do it and, and, and lead the way because you have that opportunity. Uh, that I didn't have, and definitely that my father and grandfather did not have. Uh, so take advantage of those opportunities that you have, whether it be in law enforcement, whether it be in, in education, or in life itself. You have that opportunity to be anything that you want if you set your mind to it. You make a plan. You work it. Don't don't take no for an answer. You may not. You may not make it at first. Uh, but if you, you work hard, you keep going for it, you, know, you eventually you're going to make it, but it's, it's out there for you. And it's only up to you um, to be able to make it.
1: Awesome message. And I'm going to end this show with this. Any questions? I didn't think so. <laughs>